Hit the lights. You've discovered the Half Watt Podcast. We want to educate and entertain by tapping into the most trusted source of new technology, the ones installing and innovating it. You, the tradespeople that build from the ground up. Join us as we talk with industry leaders, veteran contractors, and even some young blood. Welcome aboard. So tonight, I get to talk to Kevin, and I, I don't know your last name. Do you want to give it, or...? Uh, sure. My name's Kevin Angel. Kevin Angel. Yep. Okay. Well, actually, I did know your last name. I just didn't realize that that's what that was. <laughs> I'm smart like rock, fast like tree. Kevin Angel, I'm Mike Brooks. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Pretty good, man. Welcome to the podcast. So you have an Instagram site. I and do. I've checked out some of the, you've got some funny memes on there, man. Tell me, tell me what's going on with you and tell me about your background. So I guess I'll start with the Instagram first. Um, I've kind of moved my way to maintenance. I, it's a different pace. So I get a lot of time on my phone. We have a lot of downtime until there's a call mm-hmm. and a lot of time looking at electrical stuff on Instagram. Okay. Uh, I put, I have an Instagram, so I just started posting stuff. Uh, a lot of my buddies, we have group chats. They send me videos of stuff they're doing and being in maintenance, I don't get to see all the industry standards of what everybody's doing. So mm-hmm. I started posting my own stuff. People started sending me stuff. I post it. I make memes. I post videos of like just things going around on our plant, other people's jobs, and just basic workplace stuff. Some of it's funny. Some of it's just this is what the job is. Mm-hmm. Some of it's technique. Do you do this or And then a lot of it, I've kind of got into showcasing other people and their stories because that that part is uh, pretty interesting, just the people behind the work. So that's kind of been the shift in focus lately. So now tell me, do you you don't have to say your employer, but what do you do? What are you what are you doing for them? And as far as maintenance goes. So it's funny. I started out in TIs. My company doesn't do industrial. But we have a group of guys that is at the port of Seattle, and we do their. We take care of the the leasee of this port, which means they're twenty four seven. We take care of their low voltage, their fire alarm, their high voltage, everything. If it's electrical, we do it for them. We have a day and a night shift. We work weekends, and we just if it's electrical, we make it happen for them. And and you're an ELO one, so you're a. You're, you're a full watt. Yep. 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 <laughs> Versus an ELO six, but well, it's funny because one of our better guys on the crew, he started out as an O six, then became an O one. So I it's funny because there's so much technical knowledge in the O six region that it's kind of hard being an O one to yes, you can do all these different things, but without having your hands in it, how can you really be competitive? In it? You really can't. Yeah. So now you were doing an upgrade on this uh, in this port facility today, where you were you're you're moving over to because you said everything was class two, division two, and and yeah. Like that. So describe what what that means to the to the folks that don't do that kind of work. So class one dip two. Oh, class one dip two. Okay. Or. Yeah, class one div two, I believe. I'm all mixed up. It's kind of a long day, but uh, <laughs> it's fibrous. We deal with dust. It's a grain facility. Uh, we transport grain in on rail. It goes through the house. We have a bunch of um, silos. I believe we have like something like seventy silos. Wow. They transfer through the silos. They go on big leg conveyors up through the scales. The state certifies it. It goes out conveyors to the boat gets exported out but we uh so when you work with all these like big ones are vapors and fibers hazardous locations explosion and a big one for grain is uh you get a certain content of dust in the air it's going to explode it doesn't matter what material it is you get enough sentiment in there it's going to explode so how we manage that is we have dust systems on our conveyors that suck away the dust. We uh, we have some older dust systems. So we've recently been moving to some newer dust systems to help manage 
Mm-hmm. Like the risk of the explosion in a facility like that. It's like a 60 acre plot on the waterfront. So it's a big facility. That is gargantuan. And then I imagine the people of uh, Queen Anne and Magnolia wouldn't like it if a 60 acre <laughs> plant exploded. So with that, it's all explosion proof motors, um, rigid pipe. We don't do any seal off or anything like that, but everything has to be intrinsically safe, intrinsically safe headlamps, whatever you take in the plant. Oh, I never thought about that. Of course, yeah, you'd have to wear intrinsically safe stuff or you'd detonate. Yep, which it tends to be kind of expensive. Milwaukee makes intrinsically safe headlamps. It's it's all the little stuff that you don't think about. Mm -hmm. Just a pump for, because we have some pumps in the plant, an intrinsically safe sump pump. Super expensive, but you have to have it. I never would have thought of that. You're exactly right. I've, yep. I've been in one grain facility here in Portland, and I, and it was kind of like what you were describing. When they had conveyor belts, they had, um, they had a manual sprinkler system instead of an automatic sprinkler system. So if you – I'm a sprinkler monkey too. So if you, you had a fire, you'd open up the valve, and water would come out of all the heads. That's the way it was designed. And the, the guy was describing how much weight was above us in the silos as we were walking through here goes, yeah, there's like X amount of tons of grain here and, and everything was intrinsically safe. Like you were talking about, and we were just kind of getting our feel for the place. So I, and, but that was my only exposure to that type of environment. It was really, it was really an interesting. It, it's a different look than I've got. And it's been really enjoyable working there. Uh, my girlfriend, her, her father is the maintenance manager at a steel foundry. So I'm about to go here in a couple of weeks and tour their facility. I'm not going to, I'm not looking to work there or anything like that, but just to see how different places do different things, their processes, how they set up their electrical rooms. It's all kind of super fascinating. Well, and, the arc, and the arc furnaces would be fascinating for me to say. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, uh, I so I've worked at a at a fab plant, a couple of fab plants, and and a, a place where they make the crucibles before they start the whole process. So they make these crucibles. It's called Horatian. It's they had these, they're crystal bowls, is what they really look like. I mean, you can, if you ting them with your finger, they just ring like a like a crystal thing. So then they put the silicon in there and they melt it in these blast furnaces. And then the bowls never make it. They crack at the very end of the whole process. It's just the, the way that it works. And so we worked in their facility, and the guys explained everything that happens because you can ask them, and they'll go through and show you all that. So I've actually seen from one, you know, from the, where they build these bowls to where they actually take them and put them at SEH and, and SEA of America and, and melt the stuff in it. And you see the whole process from beginning to end all the way through the epi plant. And I was just like, I was blown away, blown away at the at the technology and the, the the ability of the guys who everybody on the line will just tell you what's going on and mm-hmm. all the technical aspects to it. You're just like, oh my god! And it's like, but, uh, you know, you, if you're like us, we're all technically minded. We just sit there and kind of drool over, like, wow, <laughs> what is that? Absolutely, I never thought. Uh... My friends that I've worked with for a long time, we stay in touch and we talk about the projects they're on, all the, especially being in the Seattle area, mm-hmm. you get an opportunity to go into places where they're doing the technology they're using and the processes that they're doing are way beyond me, but I can still be told about it or see it. I had a buddy who was just at a rocket facility where they build rockets or something like that. Okay. And they walked through, yep. They walked him through his out in Redmond. They walked him through the whole thing, explained it the same type of thing. So it's pretty fascinating the places we get to go see and the processes that we get in on just like the gateway is our trade. So, yeah, no, that's a that's a good way to put it. I like um, I went to a place that made imitation crab meat and I I had never seen. I didn't know the process because I'm not I didn't come from that industry. And I the first thing I did, I walked to the door. It was like a fire alarm inspection. I said, oh, you have to show me how imitation crap meets made. And he goes, come on. And you just take me back and show me the whole thing. And it, it, it was literally, it, it literally came out of a, out of a barrel. Like it was like, looked like, like pancake mix. And they mixed it and then mixed the fish in with it. And then they, they cooked it and cut it up. And by the time it looked done, it was looked like crap. I was, holy cow. 
it's so fascinating how absolutely fascinating the manufacturing process and the things people do and the the part that we take in the electrical field and helping them what they know they want to do and how Mm -hmm. we and they can do it electrically <laughs> the, the, the difference between the two. Yeah, they don't know but now in the grain facility, don't they sample? Don't they have the sample tubes of grain that go back to a place with like the FDA samples? Yep. It? Yep. We have we have a uh, the state. They sample it. Um, they have to approve it. If it doesn't pass, they clean it and then they blend it with other grain that's better quality to get the mixture that is required to be exported off. It's what we're dealing with isn't a food grade quality, so it's a little bit lower quality, but it's an export to a different country. So the state, it's still federally in there being regulated. They have to. So you know, the one I saw, there were these these uh, tubes, these like plexiglass tubes everywhere, and they were yeah. sand. All the grain was coming back to this one office, and then they would just like take the samples, and, and they were looking for moisture too, because if if the grain gets wet. It yep. can make a terrible fungus that's super toxic. So they, you know, they were explaining all that. I was like, dang, man. It's, it's crazy because to me, it's just putting it from one place to another. The state side, I see a lot of the stuff they have. I work in their office doing stuff, but their entire process, I have no idea what they do. But <laughs> I, they have test tubes. They're mixing chemicals with it. Seems pretty complex to me, but... So how did you get into the trade? What, tell me tell me your story. Where, how did you get started in this? So I, uh, my father was a electrician. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he worked out at the Hanford Nuclear Facility for oh, nice. probably like 25 years. Uh, my father passed away when I was 18. Oh, I'm sorry I was, that's all right. Um, I was coming out of high school. I knew college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took a look at my dad's life. We had a great life that he provided for us. And I kind of just picked, I'm going to go to trade school. And I did it. I went to the same trade school my father went to. Um, graduated two years later. Wasn't too sure about it when I first got into it because. I wasn't sure about working at that point. I was young. I was probably 20 by the time I got out. I'd been working, but it was nothing like getting into construction. Mm-hmm. Then I had a buddy who ended up, was a foreman for a company. He was like, didn't you go to trade school? Why aren't you doing electrical work? So hired me. One of my best friends ended up being my foreman for four years. I worked as right-hand man. We did a ton of different stuff we did agriculture solar and then we eventually got into commercial out of the ground stuff mm-hmm. and he kind was of this, was this up in the tri-cities or this was you... actually in the we went started so the shop was on a sunny side lower valley yakima mm-hmm. eastern washington and i we worked all the way from yakima to tri-cities to a lot of the dairies in Sunnyside. That's where I got into my first taste of like controls, automation, PLC. And I always wanted to do more of that, but commercial is kind of where I've always ended up until three years ago when I ended up at the plant. And now everything's PLC automated. I I love that because I tell my students this, that that everything everything that we're going to touch in the future is a PLC. There, yep. There's no way around it. It's all PLCs. You've got to learn the language and, and how these things are programmed, the gazins, the gazouts, everything. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you said that because I'm hoping that the students that look, I have a lot, a lot of students that listen to the podcast. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're saying that because it kind of reiterates where I'm going at. It's like, you've got to learn the languages. You've got to. Even if you're not going to be a programmer, you have to understand like you had to at least be able to write a program of like low level sensors, high level sensors, multi-tank filling, just to understand. Because a lot of the times, like in our facility, they're not, they don't, they have tons of contractors that do a bunch of different things for them. It's not all electrical for them. So we end up talking to the programmer. And if 
we're not really speaking the same language. It's really hard to get things sorted as where if having an idea of how they write their logic and then it's kind of nice because once you get a good programmer, you can do stuff hardwired in the field. You get a good programmer that works on the fly. It's seamless. And yeah, everything is going to be automated. PLCs or the milk parlors, it was so cool. We got to do a project where in Sunnyside where it was a 360 milk parlor and it went down to one guy. They went, I think they had 10, they went from like 10 or 12 people consistently around the clock in the milk parlor down to one guy per shift. And no these, cows, these cows would walk on to it. They would do a full 360 on this big platform. And when it did the 360, they would come off and they'd go on their way. And that was their milk for however long. And it That's was all offloaded. So, the, and, so literally it was like one cow at a time or whatever, or cows would go in and they'd do the... Well, it had a bunch of different stalls. So one would go on, it would have something like 45 cows on it at one time. It was just a continuous cycle of... God, you got to be kidding me. So it's a, it's a literally a, 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 like a, almost like a, I don't want to make a joke at it, but it's like a Ferris wheel for cows. The cows Absolutely. go in and it just... 100%. Goes, that's freaking brilliant. Well, they're cows, so they love being milk. So it is a Ferris wheel for them, yes. That's <laughs> a Ferris wheel for cows. That's awesome. So then it would just, and by the time they do the rotation, you're out. Yeah. We'll yep. see you tomorrow. But seeing all the different PLCs, I, I remember when I was learning about them, like I thought they were super complex, but inputs and outputs, that's as an electrician that wires it, that's pretty much as simple as it is for us inputs outputs but once you start understanding how relays work and you can interlock your hardwiring in with relays mm -hmm. so we have safety programs i remember with the cows we had safety programs written in there like if certain certain switches get hit they're not all the way in the stall like you will you want to have the plc program written to stop it, but we're mm -hmm. also wiring it to interlock it so it's mechanically stops it. Kind of got off track there with the cows and no, not at all because because honestly, the 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 part of this the part of this podcast is education and reaching out to people to go look. This is why you want to be in a trade because you you're not that's that this is the stuff that's not going to get outsourced. This isn't going to AI. AI is not writing and and installing. Uh, Cal Ferris whales. It's just not going to happen yet. It may happen in our future down the road, but it ain't happening today. So if, you know, if the, if the students and the people who are interested in the trade go, holy cow, I never thought of that. And, and I, and I literally, cause we live in an ag state going, look, mm -hmm. you may not be doing fire. I'm a fire alarm guy too. I'm like, that's my world is fire alarm. You may not be doing fire alarm today, but you could be processing beans in Salem. Because there's a huge, this is a huge agricultural state. So it's what gets processed. Grain gets processed. You know, food gets processed. Uh, wine gets processed. There's nothing that happens here doesn't happen with a process. Everything needs an electrician. Everything needs programming. It's all, every winery I've been in in the state, every winery I've been in the state has automation in it, every single one of them. I've never been in one yet that doesn't have some sort of automated process that happens somewhere in the, in the plant. So, and, and those are high-end jobs. Those are high-end, high-end gigs. So I'm like trying to get my students and, and folks interested in it to go, look, this is, this is the future for us. This is it. This is it. LED lighting, the whole nine yards. Absolutely. Yeah. If, if somebody can get in there and it's talking to the customer and figuring out how to save them money and stopping their negative cash flow clock, because when you're down, that's your biggest hit in production. So with the PLCs and the automation, we're eliminating that downtime, I feel like. Yeah. And we're doing it safely because looking at just the example, our conveyors back in the day, they didn't have they didn't have any type of Hasmon pro probes. Like in the bearings, there was no gearbox temps. There was no bearing probes. There was no slowdown on the conveyors if a belt breaks. So we're doing things better and we're also doing it safer. And so, so let me, let me clarify that for the folks who, who may not have picked up on what's going on. Now you've got sensors that tell you if a bearing is getting hot, 
if you've lost your belt, stop, slow down. Don't just dump everything. Don't just, just don't keep working to where you lose, you know, the entire belt and you got to refeed everything. All the safety protocols that are in place to say, we've had this issue. We know exactly what bearing's bad, where the roller's got to be replaced or the shiv or whatever it is you're working on. That, that makes total sense, man. So it's a safer environment when you're done. Absolutely. Brilliant. We, we got in there because they had a dust house fire and mm -hmm. they didn't have electricians doing the work originally. And that's how they ended up getting electricians in there doing work rather than maintenance. Right yep. I get it. So now, now are you a contractor working for the port or are you working for the port? Uh, we are a contractor working for the port. Okay. And it's, and it's a good long-term gig. So you've got, you know, good money coming in, good benefits, all that. Yep. So first and foremost, I'm IBEW Local 46. Mm -hmm. I, I, am, I took a call with my contractor, but first and foremost, I am an electrician out of the IBEW. Good. And then my contractor is a vendor at the facility. Perfect. So Very that's cool. how I ended up there. Yeah, I work with a, I work with a lot of IBW guys. So I I, I was a non-union guy, but that that's that's irrelevant. I'm actually in a union now because I work for a hospital, so I'm just not in the IBW one. But our folks, we have a, a team of electricians that work on the hill. Uh, I work at OHSU, which is this big hospital here in Portland. Uh, when I I'd worked there for a long time, like a decade, and uh, left, went out and did a bunch of stuff for contractors, and then came back. And I came back as a as the senior fire alarm guy. So I'm back doing my thing and the contractors that were the guys who were apprentices and just turning out when I was there before are now running the show up there. And they're the same contractors, same dyno as Dynoelectric, same guys, only they brought in all these other people that I, I didn't know. Just absolutely stellar. I mean, stellar electricians. I mean, stellar. Like they, the first thing the guy says, you got to come down and see this opens up this panel. It's all simplex. It opens up this panel and just went, I mean, from what it looked like when I saw it, you know, 16 years ago to now, it's not even comparable. And one of their one of their hot troubleshooters up there is a guy I use all the time. I just call him and say, we got this issue going on. And like, like four, you know, 40 minutes later, he's like, yeah, we found it. There it is. We'll take care of it for you. I'm like, yes. I think the guys who were apprentices and now running it, that is such an important lesson in this field. I just got sent a video the other day of a classmate from trade school. He's the supervisor, and our first trimester teacher is now working under him. Yeah. So you never know who's going to end up doing what, where you're going to end up. Just networking with everybody you work with. Yeah. Because, like, being at the port – it's pretty stable work. We're always exporting, but you never know where the next job's going to be. Our work is temporary. Mm -hmm. It's all depending on getting that next bid, that next assignment, that next call. So networking with people is super important. Staying and and I tell them I, this is what I tell them, Kevin. I said, look, um, I when I look at my students and I I crank a lot of students in my classes. I say, I do not want you to come up to whatever level I'm at five years from now that's that's bad squeeze i want you to eclipse me you should be better than me you should be much better than me i would expect everybody in this classroom and i, I say literally stomp my ass i want to be i want you to be super successful and show me that you're successful and i have had a dozens of students just go you know i just can see them all over the place they're everywhere here and they are successful. And it's like, that's what we want. That's the way the trades were designed, is that I, I show you all the stuff I know, all the tricks I know. I'm not holding anything. In, I'm not reserving anything that I, that I don't know. I'm, I'm showing you all. And you're my, you're my apprentice, but you're also a human and an equal to me in a lot of ways. So there's things that you may know that I don't know, and I need to know that information. Like, I don't treat my apprentices like dirt. I want to know what you know especially if it's something that I'm not familiar with, if you've done before. And make sure that, that nothing is in my head. There's no secrets. Boom. And I had, that, that method of teaching has just been phenomenal in my world. It's just I, I couldn't be happier. And, and I, I give everybody my cell phone number and say, hey, look, you got a problem? 
and you vapor lock on something, give me a ring. Like every employer I've ever worked for knows that if I get a call from a student, I'll take it. Then I do. I get calls all the time. Hey, man, I'm in front of this Dutch detector just in case something's going wrong. Well, let's start from the beginning. What you got? And we yeah. just talk our way right through it. This field's so big to you will never know everything. And as fast as everything changes, you're not going to be able to keep up. So you, you notice that too. You see it dividing pretty quickly, like where. Oh, it's. <laughs> So I went from doing, before I ended up at the plant, I was doing TIs. And with uh, with the Seattle lighting, it's they have all these lighting regulations of power saving and using all these. The lighting has become very complex. And if you're not just in doing lighting, to just hop back in and do all these lighting rib relays, turning the outlets off, tied into the rooms, dimmable everything, controllers. It takes a second to dig back into it and be like, this stuff is changed. This isn't just a hot and a switch like for turning lights on anymore. Yeah. You're not just for the gen. Not yep. everything is everything is everything's automated. And I I hear a lot of people complaining about, oh, you know, it's it's so it's so complicated. But it it if you look at the code change, because I'm doing my code change for Washington, right? So I have, I got all my, I think my, my license renews in June. So I got to get all my stuff done. So I just did the NEC one and two. Blown away at the changes and the code coming up. I'm blown away at the 70 coming up. It is, it is a different book. It, they really put some effort into it. You know what they're putting out? 10 amp circuit breakers. 10 amp circuit breakers. That's going to be a common thing in your home as a 10 amp. You know why? The loads are down. They're absolutely down. Everything's efficient. Everything's efficient. And so they're not, you don't need a 15 amp breaker. You don't need lighting. You don't need that much current going in your, in your walls. You can do it with less and get the same illumination. That to me is a, is a, is a monumental step above incandescent lighting. Absolutely. I just, I'm I absolutely was, was blown away by the coach. First time I've done a code change where I was really interested <laughs> until I got to arc fault and arc fault is beating me like a, like a step job, but whatever, I'll, I'll get through it. Arc fault yeah. is low voltage guys in arc fault. We were like, we, we, what's an arc fault? What's happening here? But hey, everybody started out that way because the <laughs> smallest motor you have on it trips it out and it got <laughs> pain, but they they've adopted it. It works. So, yeah. It, what, oh. What's it like working in Seattle with all the? I mean, I know you're working in one spot, but you have to have. Don't you have to have a lot of like special endorsements and things to do work in Seattle in that area around the Sound? So it's Seattle has a bunch of different things that they do separate of everybody, separate of Bellevue, kind of how uh, WAC RCW is Washington State's thing. Seattle has their own building code, and it is. I sat down with one of our engineers the other day, and he was telling me one of Seattle's new uh, things is EV. EV is so huge. When you build a building in Seattle, now, starting here in a couple months is what he said, you're going to have to, however many parking spaces you have, 10% of them are going to have to have fully working EV car chargers 10 percent 10 percent 10 percent had to have the pipe and wire in so all you have to do is plop them down and you have another 10 percent so you're up to 20 percent of your parking and then another 10 percent has to have the pipe in so all you have to do is pull the wire put the charger on it and he's trying to he's trying to do the low calcs on these buildings and he's like i have a building that's getting a 4,000 amp switchboard, but I'm also putting in a 4,000 amp switchboard for the EV parking. Damn. It's. That's incredible. It it's good, but it's also expensive. So So, so let me think about this. So if I pull up with my EV car and plug into your building, you're footing the bill for that. Well, it depends how the building sets up their program with that. We've looked at that uh, at our facility. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny. I have a Tesla. I have a, I have a diesel truck, and I have a Tesla. I think mm-hmm. the EV cars are fantastic. Um, but at my building, we talked to them about 
because we did the lighting rebates for all the LED lights. Mm -hmm. So we were like, hey, you guys can put chargers in, get rebates for that. And I think it's kind of up to the place if they charge you or not. Our place was talking about charging us. We laughed at them. They said, oh, we won't charge you, I guess. And it's like, <laughs> but I'm sure they'll have a bunch of rules written out about that because there will be tax credits for that. Which which makes sense. And but that but but think of all the work, all the infrastructure work that's gonna go on. So so every electrician mm -hmm. up in Seattle and, and I my my last company was a performance system, so they were all over they were up in um uh, they were in Milton and they had another branch up in um Bothell. I think they just moved it. So there we were working in the sound as well. And that was like there was a lot of work up there. I mean, there's a lot of work. And a lot of construction happening up there. So think of the of the amount of people employed to put that infrastructure in. It's it's you can make bank. I mean, seriously. Absolutely, absolutely. And you're and you if, if you own a Tesla and a diesel truck, you're not underpaid. <laughs> no, I I get a fair wage for what I work for. I it it's so crazy coming out of trade school and what I thought. I was like, what I wanted was so simple and the life that I got in being an electrician is so beyond what I thought it would be. Excellent. And I'm rewarded every day with the work I do. I, I don't hate my job. I find it interesting. So yeah, there's some quirks and stuff that it, it's work. It can be stressful and there's things I don't like, but I feel blessed that I go to a job. I build a tangible product yeah. and I go home at the end of the day and I feel like I earn my money. I do the same thing. When I work, I I don't I don't dislike my job. Like I really enjoy what I do and I do a lot of programming. So uh, on a I don't know what kind of what kind of a fire system do you have up there? I'm trying to remember. I we haven't touched it for so long. Well, I I'm a simplex guy by trade. That's what I was trained in and uh and so I like I kind of have fallen into the the simplex world. I like the programming. It's it's easy for me to do and I've worked on other systems and I don't dislike them. I just happen to know simplex the best. But uh it's it is truly an enjoyable thing for me to work produce some do some programming, go out in the field, do some do some stuff, pack up my stuff and go home. I work four tens and have 3 days off and it just like I've I've done my bit for with the company, they're happy. If I need, if they need me as some sort of emergency, they know how to get a hold of me. Other than that, I'm gone. Like, like I'm, I come and do this, and that's I have my three days off. I work with my horses and whatever I'm going to do, and you know, we're ready to go back to work on Monday. There's no like, I hate this job. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I think specializing in something kind of gives you a foot up, also. Like our fire system, that's mm -hmm. not. I don't really touch it too much because like I said we have a guy who is an 06 he's one of our better guys he handles everything with that and I doing tenant improvements I remember working with apprentices they got to learn to do a fire alarm and I remember people kind of griping about oh I don't want to do fire alarm I want to bend big pipe pull big wire but when it came down to like slow times when you have a specialty and you can do fire alarm you can bend, you can pull wire, you can do everything. Being well-rounded and getting extremely good at certain systems, I think puts you so far ahead of everything we do is too big to be fantastic at everything. You have to pick a niche and kind of, and I think right now, solar, EV, like stuff like that, those markets are untapped. They're going to be, you, you're going to be a behemoth. Yep. You're going to be able to make money and they're not going to be able to cancel us out of it. We're no, not, not at all. The, the solar, the solar, the solar and EV thing is, is especially the solar that really is, is eye opening. The amount of, the amount of, of solar that's going into the amount of money in it. It, it is really eye opening. Yep. And, it, and LED lighting. I mean, yeah. I, I'm amazed at, and because you're, you're because Seattle is so uh, such a wired community, so is Portland. But Seattle, I think, is even more advanced as far as as uh, you know, integrating houses and stuff like that. One of the instructors I work with, it's a specialty. I've had him on the show. He he integrates high end houses and does high end work, 
And then the guy we talked to a couple of weeks ago, the tatted tech does that stuff as well. And, you know, these some of these people are dropping thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of infrastructure into a home. Yep. I mean, so you've got essentially what you would have in a small business in a home now, and someone's got to maintain it. it it's wild to hear about the to think you can just be in a certain part and then go. It's funny because I've had friends poo poo like Resi mm -hmm. and I have friends who do high end Resi over in Medina, Mercer Island. And the systems in those houses are so complex. Yeah. And these, these guys get the forms on it and they dig into these systems and they mm -hmm. have to figure out how to make it work. And it, it's, pretty amazing like like you said it's a full business in a house but some of these houses are bigger than some businesses yeah and and honestly it's not bad it's not bad work like i've done sprinkler systems you know i'm not work on i'm not installing or anything like that but i've worked on sprinkler systems inspected in some of these houses and they're just like jaw dropping i'm like whoa this is how the other half lives i don't live like this man i wish yeah. i could live like this <laughs> it I think there's just so many different avenues of what, when you first get in the trade, like try, a, I tried a bunch of different things. I came up non-union. I did a bunch of different things. So I kind of got a wide assortment of seeing a little bit of everything. And then I kind of, what spoke to me is what I kind of went after and what I decided that this is what part of the field I want to end up in. And that's nice. kind of, industrial automation was always it for me so and it just it just kind of tripped your trigger yep absolutely so, now your dad worked as an electrician at at, at on at hanford and so yep. so and he had spent almost all of his time there correct uh it's funny he worked in the lower valley also he did seattle and then 25 years a majority of his time yes at hanford okay and then uh you so and you sort of you know kind of came out of the Spokane, the Eastern Washington area. Now yep. you're in Western Washington, so if you ever get tired of the rain, you could easily just drop back over back into the desert and say, "I'm tired of this for a while." Well, it, it's funny. I I visit Wenatchee a lot, and I love that area over there. And there's so much work over there. Is it really cheapest energy and? I don't know if it's still the cheapest energy in the U.S., but it's right up there. So the data farms they're putting in are all out there. Othello, Euphreda. I was looking. Their energy is so cheap. I was looking at solar for a house over there. It's a 42-year buyback on it because the energy. You, you buy your, you buy your solar, solar panels off with the energy you put back on the grid. Mm -hmm. And they pay so cheap for it because it's so cheap over in Grant County, Eastern Washington, mm -hmm. that it takes so long. The life expectancy of panels last I heard was like 25 years. We froze for a second there, Kevin, but I think we're back on. So okay. because the energy is so cheap, it takes forever to pay off the, the yep. solar panels because you're not, because it doesn't have much value at this point. Nope. But Eastern Washington, there's just tons of work over there. There's you know, in, in Eastern Oregon, and, and there's a there's a place called Prineville, which is kind of in the middle of the state. Uh, Apple and Facebook are there. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and Facebook, like I've worked in the Facebook. I've never been in the Apple side, but I've worked on the Facebook side. And it was, those data farms are impressive. And there's a company, there's one main uh, primary contractor that works does all the electrical work for him, almost all the electrical work for it. And it is, it is, you can't take any pictures in the plant, but you can look online and see shots of inside the data farms and the the older data farms. You would not, I you can, you can follow, you can follow the cat six. They bundle and they comb the cat six. You can follow the one wire that you're looking at on the bottom from one side of that data center to the other. It never twists. It, it is it is it is as perfect an installation as I've ever seen, and and these guys are bending. In some cases, the the datacom people do do their work, the high voltage people do their work, the 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 conduit. Some of this stuff is four inches. It's bent perfect. I mean, perfect. Like you look back at it and you just go. I mean, this should this should this should be in a museum of how 
electrical work is done. And they get better and better and better. Every time they go to a, you know, do a different data center, uh, they're faster at it. And it's just, it's just, it's mind blowing how good the work is. I love it when the work's also quality, not just fast. Yeah. A lot of people do work fast, but for it to be good quality work on top of that, that's the stuff I Google. That's why I started my Instagram. That's why I spend time on the internet looking at stuff because I love seeing good work. We all love good work. So on Instagram, uh, and I'm not a huge Instagram user, so I, I'm, I don't use a lot of Facebook stuff. I, I think I do Reddit. That's about all I really do on, on social media. That's just for entertainment for my own brain. But with Instagram, you, you can put up these memes. And I saw, you know, a bunch of the memes that you had up. They're, they're pretty damn funny, some of them. <laughs> some of the guys I work with, I don't know if some of my coworkers would enjoy the memes as much, but they're funny. Mm-hmm. I love them. <laughs> you have to enjoy what you do. And you have to – sometimes everything's so hectic and crazy that I'm the generation of Reddit. Like – we we meme everything, so why wouldn't I meme my work? That's there's a T-shirt on the generation of Reddit. <laughs> it just makes sense to me to do it, and there's just kind of uh, industry norms that it's. As an electrician, I know other people can relate to them, so. Yeah. I, I like that kind of stuff. I like the fact that that you've got. The the it was you and the Tata Tech that we've talked to who really have an internet presence that I think is is uh, it would be good for other people to look at it, you know. And so if we're, if they're going to go to Instagram, how do they find you? So I'm going to be at at electrical period shit. At electrical period shit. Electrical shit, yeah. Okay, kids. Now it is your duty to go to Instagram and look at his stuff. You've got to. So we can get some traffic there. <laughs> I appreciate that. I just want to showcase, you know, work. I want people to laugh. And uh, I want some of the, the people to be showcased also. Because through having the Instagram, I've gotten to talk to some amazing people. And I, through Instagram, I get to see other things that I don't do. One of the things that I really geek out on is cable splicing. I've done mm-hmm. I've done very little. I've done some medium voltage cable splicing, but the guys who do high voltage, medium voltage cable splicing, the glassing, all those 3M kits, their process, I think it's awesome. I think it's great craftsmanship. Because as a low voltage guy, I don't, I I think I know what you're talking about, but I honestly am in the dark here. so, So share with me what that is. So when you have. High voltage, it's so crazy to look at these uh, the wires that they use for it. They have all this semi-con, these ground wraps, all these interesting layers in it, and it has to be prepared a certain way because with such high voltage, there's so much pressure behind it. Okay. Just a little nick in a layer, and it ruins the conductor. It jumps, and it short circuits. I've seen tons of trans... We had a... The three uh, 3M guy come out and train us on their kits. They offer kits for forty one sixty. Came out, educated all of us, gave a little class. We had some scrap cable for the particular cable we were using, mm-hmm. and went through the whole process of it. And it's not like it's a very fine tuned. Like you're grinding the semicon if you. The semicon's like this pink layer okay. that insulates it, and if you if you scratch it, the wires ruin. You cut it all off, start over, and so it, so you're saying if I'm gonna if I'm gonna splice these two together, or I'm gonna put a connector on it, or a ninety or something like that, that everything about it has to be done methodically and perfectly. Absolutely, the the kits are they're very intricate, and every step has to be like exact because the voltage is so high. Wow. So if you, so if you were, were into this, if this was your, was your stick, then, then you could become a, uh, you know, a professional at terminating. Absolutely. I, uh, on my Instagram, I showcase, uh, 
so I have Daniel Spencer on there. Okay. He, uh, he's IBEW. He's a full-time cable splicer. He's uh, down out of California. But I he popped up his cable splicing. Just old cities, manholes. Like, we're talking splices that are 60 years old and they're still oh, wow. in operation. And it's in a manhole with tons of splices in it. Just really interesting stuff. But I ended up talking to him. He went through an arc flash and that's how he kind of got on my radar was cable splice and then i saw the arc flash his situation and i ended up talking to him and now i have several cable splicers that i talk to okay. and i've done a small piece of it but i geek out on the internet looking at it mm -hmm. and the hall offers classes and i'll probably end up at some point down at the hall doing the cable splicing classes because it's a field i would like to I don't know if it's something I do full time, but it's something that interests me. Yeah, there's and and that and that is the key is is doing something that you find, you know, that that grabs your interest. Absolutely, and, and obviously it does. So yeah, if you're if you're bored at work, you need to switch things up and get. <laughs> there's so much different stuff to do. So, if all you're doing is running cable trays all day you can get with a contractor. It'll stick you on something else that you enjoy. Go, go figure it out. Yep. I, I've, uh, uh, when, when I, I teach, uh, a couple of the classes and one of the classes I teach is we talk, uh, it's a, it's a basic class, but we talk about, uh, computers and, and, and the transition from analog into digital technologies. And I, I'm kind of a history buff, so I go back and I, I ask my students, I can't really say you must watch this, but I say you should probably watch this video. And it's a video, it's a four-part video that the Navy put out in probably the, I would say the late 40s on naval gunfire computers. And I say, hey, watch this video, you know, and if you want to see the other ones, go ahead and watch. I've seen, I've seen all four parts. And it shows you the the, the mechanical because in order for you to fire a round off of a ship, to another ship or even to a shore, you have to compensate for wind, drift, the the rocking of the ship. There's you know the powder charge, the the, the type of round you're firing. There's all these variables that have to be computed, and they were making computers in prior to World War II, but they were mechanical computers. And so if you ever see gun plot on a big ship, there's all those guys wrapped around that box are all inputting to this computer. And the computer does all the mathematics mechanically, all of it. So they can build the gears. And if you built a certain differential gear or a certain shape, then it did division, multiplication, addition, or subtraction, and more. It, and, the, and the videos show all of it. And so if you just look up on YouTube, Naval Gunfire Computers, You'll see it's a black and white video. You can see all four of them. If you see that, and then you can then see where we could go into digital computing and make that transition and understand why computers, what they were then, what they are now, and where we're going with them. And you can sort of see the, 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 the technology curve and, and how that's important. And so, and that's been my fascination. My fantasy is to look back in history, even if it's only 60 or 70 or 80 years ago, and look at all the technologies, because we thought that was a long time ago. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, we thought, oh, well, you know, World War II was forever ago. And we don't, you know, nothing really advanced ever came out of it, except that everything advanced came out of it. <laughs> and you're, what you're talking about right there is, is, is right along the same lines. Somebody in the high voltage world had to figure out, this is how all this works. This is how it all ties together. And someone did the research on that. Someone did the, the, the thinking to come up with the right method to make all that happen. And that just fascinates me, man. Absolutely. Back when my dad worked at Hanford, pre 9-11, we, uh, we got to go out there. It was take your child to work day at, at Hanford. Yeah, kiddo. I think he just went back upstairs. He's fine. But it was take your kid to work day, mm -hmm. and we got to go on site, and we didn't go into anything radioactive, but just the facilities that were kind of – that we got to tour, and the, the history of – I've kind of geeked out on Hanford and the nuclear power because the processes of them doing that <sighs> – 
it, it's we kind of my buddy who's doing the rocket plant facility he's like how blessed am i i just get to be here do the electrical for him they're doing tests and stuff and i'm he's like can i watch and they're like oh yeah hang out <laughs> hang out well so, you know at, at hanford they they had remote there was some of the let me back up. There's a reactor there, and you can actually tour it. You probably have seen it, where they where they put the plugs in the front, yeah. the uranium, and then the plutonium. You know, the plutonium would pop out the back. So it wasn't all plutonium, and they had a whole process where they had to take the cans and cool them off for a certain amount of time, then take them a out. Lot, of the yeah, exactly, and melt them in nitric acid. The whole process that meant that prior to World War II, they built remote manipulator arms that they could operate remotely, and they did that could fix themselves. They could actually turn the arm and do repairs on the other side. You could never touch these things. That's how hot they got. They built remote manipulator arms that could do work on themselves, on their other arms, prior to 1942. That's that's so wild. That that is jaw-dropping. Well... Just our facility, it was built, I believe, 6970, mm-hmm. and we have boards, and before they had PLCs, everything they did with relays, just wired relays, timers, and the guy who set up the plant was also, a, I believe, a Navy guy, and he got there, he set all that up, and jaw-dropping. Yeah. He got all these systems to work together, interlocked and every wire is red. I don't know. <laughs> For whatever reason. Yeah. It's a, I worked with a guy who I'm a Navy guy, former Navy guy. And uh, I worked with uh, a guy who was uh, a Navy nuke and he was in the very early in the game. And so uh, he was down behind a control panel working and one of the, one of the, and an officer came up behind him and said, what are you doing down there, son? And he goes, he basically said, look, unless you're Admiral Rickover, piss off. I'm busy. I mean, they're working on an invitation. He goes, well, I am Admiral Rickover. And thanks for saying that. The, the God, the godfather of the nuclear Navy was actually on the sub he was at. And that's exactly what he would do. He would walk up behind somebody and say, hey, what the hell are you doing in there? And this guy was in there doing invitation work. And he's like, piss off. Unless you're Rick over, piss off. He goes, well, I am Rick over. He goes, well, shit, then still piss off. He goes, all right, have a good day, son. Walked away. I'm like, holy cow. That's the kind of people that they made. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, that's the kind of people that, the kind of people that came out of the military, and, you know, came out of the Navy. And so, yeah, I bet, you're, I bet you're kind of saddled with a lot of us former Navy geeks up there. It, yeah, if I can recommend people getting into the field, if you can get on government jobs, any type of nuclear jobs, I recommend because you're going to see things that uh, just they're not doing any. I have a buddy down at Turkey Point who changed. It wasn't the very first reactor head changed, but he changed a reactor head and the stories of working at that place. And I can't tell the story well enough that he told me, but it just some of the jobs that we get to do there's so much information to retain it's how, how, deep, how deep do you want to dive into the field how much do you want to learn so, so so it's limitless if if you if you have the drive and the incentive to do it mhm and that yep. sounds to me like where you're where you're coming from as well absolutely we all get in this to make money and provide for our families and have a good life and if we can do work that we enjoy, that's rewarding work, I think it's a win-win. I, I think you're right. Uh, this has been very informative. I, I I appreciate the fact that that you talked about the Hanford plant. I that's the 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 whole process. I don't know if folks who listen to this podcast really realize what Hanford was, but Hanford was one of the two places that we made. Uh, weapons grade plutonium or or U two thirty five mostly mostly plutonium in the Hanford plant, and that was the other place was Oak Ridge, and that was there were two facilities that were created during the Manhattan Project, and the Hanford was by far one of the one of the larger projects and stayed open until probably the eighties. It's still open now because of the because of the waste and 
you know, all the regulation they got to deal with. It's a, it's, it's a mess, but you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, most people that I know, I, I say hand for the go, well, that's a nuke facility, but they don't realize that, you know, between it was there that they, I mean, that's where they created most of the plutonium that we used and almost all the weapons. Yeah. It, the, the processes out there, you just get to work with really intelligent people. There's so many engineers involved, even for a basic wireman. You work hand-in-hand with engineers. So anywhere that you can get around people that are into what they're doing and very intelligent and you enjoy the process you're doing, that's where I always tried to end up. Nice. Well, yeah, I heard you have a little one back there, so hopefully uh, he'll grow up to be an electrician. If he wants to. If he wants to. It's all up to him, whatever he decides to do. But if if he decides to do it third generation, that sounds pretty good to me. It does, man. Well, I'll tell you what, Kevin, I have absolutely enjoyed this night. Did you have any questions for for me or anything you want to say to to the listeners? No, I just, I, I hope you guys got something from what we talked about. Um, this field is very rewarding. I don't see any of us going anywhere soon. We're not going to be replaced. We'll have work for a very long time. And it's one of the jobs where you're compensated fairly, I feel like, for the work you do. I think I think you're right. I think you've hit that run on the head. And there's no, you mean there's not going to be some sort of a robot that's going to come out and wire stuff for you? No, I see these Hilti exoskeletons and then these Hilti machines that like the exoskeleton, you put it on your back and it makes you stronger. And then I see this Hilti machine that comes out and prints out all your grid lines and stuff like that, all your blueprints on the ground, but they can't keep up at this point. So are you saying that there's, I've seen the exoskeletons, but the other one actually puts the, where you're going to, where you're going to lay the conduit and everything? Yep. Oh, no kidding. Yep. See, so, so, so there's technology I hadn't even thought about. And I, and, and I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of pigeonholed in my own little world and talking to folks like you, it, it opens up my mind to stuff. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize I've seen the exoskeletons. Yep. And if we've seen aliens, we all seen exo- at the, the, for the, the original versions of that, obviously these are much lighter. So you see people use these things all the time. Not all the time. I've only seen, I know there was one up here in 46 and it was done as a demo. Mm -hmm. It's new. I think they're still working the kinks out of it, but I don't think it's something that's that far reaching. I want an exoskeleton, Tyler. Get me one. That's cool. I mean, you can like lift up extra stuff. I know, but all those Boston Dynamic videos got me a little bit worried. <laughs> I'll buy the second generation of yeah, it. Yeah, I'll buy the second generation. I don't need to rip my arm off because I get to get mad at me. Yeah. Hey, would you come back sometime? Absolutely. Oh, that's the best. Well, look, I know you just came home. Go see your family and tell them uh, thanks, for, thanks for letting us chat for an hour. I really appreciate it, my brother. Yeah, thank you for having me on. This yeah. is informational for me so it's great talking to you tell Thanks. tell people to check us out the half watt podcast I, I just listened to your mike holt one on the way home i have mike holt book everybody has mike holt everybody book. knows that guy that, that dude that guy that guy is I, I tell people this all the time that guy is jumping mountain bikes at 72 hands down I, i'm not i'm on a mountain bike i am not jumping and i'm 58 <laughs> I don't know much about his extra life, but just electrically, the dude's a stud. The dude is a stud. He's a stud on everything he does. I wish our uh, the quality of the video kind of got, you know, rough, but it it is it's an excellent interview. He really he really I, I've used this stuff too, and I've taught with it. It's really excellent. And he's just yeah. a very dynamic and very energetic. And he 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 just was like he just talking to him. I was like, mm-hmm, I'm all energetic now. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a, I enjoyed it, and I'll absolutely share it because I think it's informational. Anytime Mike Holt talks, though, if you're an electrician, you should probably pay attention. You should probably pay attention. Yeah, he's got his stuff yeah. together. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, check out some of our earlier stuff. I've got uh, I've got some cool, you know, stuff I've done. So yeah, check us out. Absolutely. 
Thank you, brother. Have a great night. Yep, you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Half Watt Podcast. We always want to hear from you, and we encourage you to email us at halfwattpod at gmail.com with questions or even your own stories. Funny, crazy, or praiseworthy, we want to hear it all. You can follow us on Instagram at halfwattpod to stay up to date on our feed. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with a friend the best way to help us grow. The Half Watt Podcast is a production of Now Hear This Studios.